1: of the world UFAMET presents Night Drift with Jim Perry.
2: Good evening, you are listening to Night Drift, presented by Ufamet, and I'm Jim Perry. Coming to you tonight from my home studio in the hinterlands of the Oregon Coast, to the mothership alternative talk, 1150 AM KKNW in Seattle, and streaming worldwide at nightdrift.com. Thank you, as always, for listening, and tonight, demonologist Nathaniel Gillis will discuss his research on the devil, demons, and unclean spirits, with a twist that he believes there could be a connection to the implants found in people who have been abducted by aliens or the soul hunter himself, the Molters. What are your thoughts? Have you experienced anything strange lately yourself? You can always share your story with me, jim at euphemat.com Use hashtag Night Drift on Twitter. This is Night Drift. I'm Jim Perry, and we'll be right back after this. How sweet, how sweet the
1: Perry on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM, KKNW, Seattle. Now, here again is Jim.
2: I'm Jim Perry. Welcome back to Night Drift. Nathaniel Gillis is a religious demonologist and author. After living in a haunted house, Nathaniel spent 20 years researching what it was he encountered. Nathaniel is the founder of preternatural, Epiphenomenal philosophy. Nathaniel has sought to redefine the nature of haunting phenomena, ghost and high strangeness he's often quoted for his concept of the demonic the reason they are playing by different rules is because they are playing a different game oh my gosh i can't wait to talk about this nathaniel thanks for joining me here on night drift
0: thank you for having me on i'm excited to talk to you about my research
2: absolutely man and and where are you coming to from us tonight
0: i am from dayton ohio so i'm a buckeye
2: (laughs) Well, very good. Uh, Ohio is a spooky place, man. I say it on my on on this uh, radio broadcast all the time, but it it takes me there for my podcast much more than I could have ever imagined when I started. What do you think it is about Ohio in particular? And I don't know. Listen, maybe you disagree with me, but but what, if if not, what do you think it is about Ohio that makes it such a strange place?
0: I really don't know, to be honest with you. I mean, some of my worst cases have been in Ohio. You know, even the most malevolent entity I've dealt with, which was uh, in the house that I grew up in, that was even in Ohio. So I really can't put my finger on what's going on with it. But I can tell you that uh, we do have some dark places here in this state.
2: So, you know, maybe let's begin with that. What happened to you as a kid? Let's, uh, let's, let's rewind here. Let's go back in time. Yeah. What is it with this house that happened to you?
0: Oh, my goodness. So the the very first paranormal experience I ever had happened to me, an experience was the actual open house. And so my parents took me to this house that we were going to look into buying. And uh, my dad led me into this room that would become mine. And he said, take a look around, figure out where you're going to be putting your, your bed and your gaming system and just kind of get your stuff together. He said, because it's very likely that we're going to end up moving in and buying the house. Well, upon entering the room, I was met with a stench. It smelled like decomposition. Oh my gosh. And it was very strange. Nobody else smelled it but me. And I, I, it was very unique to me because I knew it wasn't something that was tangible, right? It wasn't like somebody left a banana in there or something. It was something that was almost like a spiritual um, component to it. But yeah, so once we moved into the house, actually, no, I'm sorry. Let me back up. When I was in the open house and in the room, I remember getting on my hands and knees. And for some reason I was drawn to do this. I, I pulled the covers up and I looked underneath the bed that was in that room. And uh, that was my very first encounter with a full-bodied apparition. Oh, my gosh. It was an apparition of a little girl who was maybe about six or seven years old. She had long black hair. She had pale complexion. And she was in a white linen dress that looked to have been made during the turn of the century. And uh, we, we both kind of recoiled, and she shimmied her little body all the way to the back of the wall. Mm. And then I just kind of gathered myself. <laughs> I was very unnerved. And so I, I remember just walking out of the room, joining my parents. And then on the way home, I asked them, I said, you know, I said, is this family that Selma how did they have any children? And they said, no, they were an elderly couple. Uh, they did have children, um, but the son was, you know, an adult. He had no, he didn't have any children himself. So they they didn't have any children of that age and neither did their son have a child that age and so it was it was alarming to me once we actually moved into that house the entity mutated it evolved and so it was no longer an apparition of a little girl now it was a shadow figure Uh, you know now now yeah now I would wake up in the middle of the night and I would it's wild I, I would literally hear a full-blown conversation occurring above my head. Um, I could not understand what they were saying, but two individuals were talking to each other clear as day. Yeah. These these conversations that were occurring over my head, uh, it was almost as if these beings or these things, because we're still looking for correct vocabulary. uh, They, they wanted me to know that they were present. Mm -hmm. I couldn't, ever understand what they were saying but they wanted to be heard long enough so that I knew they were there but uh yeah I mean I I I had such a profound encounter with whatever this thing was because you know it would go to bed with me at night it would go to school with me it it followed me around and uh, one of its favorite things to do is wait till everybody went to bed and then it would just start walking and displacing its weight on our wooden floors, mm. it was, it was horrifying, you know, I mean, yeah. it, it, so, so that's really when I, I started encountering this phenomenon and then uh, I was attending a local evangelical church and I was trying to go to them with some of my experiences and I was met with shamefacedness and just utter all, you know, they really didn't mm. want to deal with me. And uh, a lot of their answers they rung shallow, you know, they, they really had no hmm. depth to them. And uh, yeah, so that's really where I'm at with it. I mean, it helped me a lot. It did build immunity within me, but um, it was traumatizing very, very much so.
2: Yeah. I mean, how did that feel when that entity changed? I mean, it's, it's really fascinating to me that it started as if an, another child, right. And its mm-hmm, connection mm-hmm. to you was almost as if you sort of scared it (laughs) like what are you doing (laughs) in here oh my god what are you um and and then you said it changed and then its relationship with you changed and was it one of complete dread that you wished to kind of like get off of your back or at some point in time did it after the church you know couldn't help you Mm -hmm. you know and where did you turn next to try to figure this thing out
0: well, it's, it was very unique, uh, because uh, I constantly use the word alien when I'm describing this being, because it was alien to me in every way. Mm. When, whenever I would enter the room, it would its presence was just humiliating. How about that? <laughs> you know, where in a sense, uh, it, it could look into me, it could look into my pores, it could look into my consciousness it knew everything about my existence. And it made me feel smaller than a particle, smaller than an mm. atom, like I was nothing in its presence. And, uh, you know, so, so that's when I started to just intellectually think about this entity. Was, you know, was, why was I so afraid of it? Was I afraid of it because I'm human and it's not? <laughs> or am I afraid of it because I'm human and it used to be human, mm. right? Or, or even deeper, was it projecting fear onto me to mm. feed off of my fear as response to it? And so that's, that it was in a sense, I was kind of monitoring the phenomenon as it was monitoring me. Mm. Um, you know, so, so what ended up happening was I was spending all night long Staying up with my lights on, and then about seven in the morning when the sun rose, I would get about 40 minutes of sleep before I would have to go to school. Oh my god. And yeah, so I would <laughs> quite literally just crash at school. I'd fall asleep. And it wasn't one of those sleeps that's easy to get awake in the front, right? It was like REM, good night, NyQuil just knocked me out. I was yeah, gone. Right, right. And I ended up feeling a grade because of it. But um yeah, it was, it was horrifying. I mean, you know, it wasn't just that it could see me. It wanted me to know that I was being seen. Right? Like there was yeah. its a whole new dimension of thought there. So that's what inspired me to think deeper than the answers that I was getting from religious demonology. And that's why I, I tell people in my lectures that demonology is an incomplete answer. To an already incomplete question.
2: Okay, okay. Well, man, that's profound. Uh, break that down a little bit for me.
0: Well, we don't know what we're dealing with. We know we're afraid of it, at least some of us and some of the beings. And we don't know where they are. We don't know when they are. We don't know what, who they are. And so what religion has done throughout history is that we... Uh, at least our ancestors, perceived these beings in such a way that it affected their worldview. Mm. And uh, so what demonology did is it, it kind of handicapped us in the sense that they gave us descriptions of these beings, not definitions. And so what we've done in the 21st century is use those descriptions as definitions and ran with it. Mm. Mm-hmm. and so so that's one of the biggest uh i guess contributions that i'm trying to add to the field is to kind of see through this veil of darkness that these beings have existed behind you know they 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 hide in illiteracy
1: mm-hmm. and
0: they will absolutely manipulate you know our awareness of them and and the vocabulary we use and I don't want to pig trail because I tend to ramble, but uh, that's that's where, where I'm at right now in my research.
2: You know, listen, ramble on. This is fascinating. Um, <laughs> okay, so let's take a few steps back. When was it that you first started kind of dipping your toe seriously into researching the paranormal? Um, I, I guess if you even want to quantify demonology within that scope – but when did you yep. start just diving into high strangeness and, and uh, encounters like this that other people well, were my, having?
0: Yeah, my first influence, obviously, was my experience with the phenomenon. But other than that, my, my father is a religious scholar. Mm. And so uh, at the age, the age of 15 to 30, uh, my main influence regarding this subject was Eastern. I mean, it was Middle Eastern. It was uh, Semitic. And so my dad would fly in these rabbis, these uh, Hebrew scholars from Israel, and then I would sit and ask them questions, you know, in your, in your right. tradition, right? And your, li- like, language, I mean, a lot of the stuff is linguistic, right? What is your definition of an unclean spirit, you know? In biblical antiquity, what, what were these beings? Where did they originate? What was their pathology? Uh, you know, because I'll be honest with you, I got tired of just the limited uh, scope of demonology Uh, that we have seen for the last hundred years, right? A demonologist goes in there and says a couple prayers and dips, right? And that's it. Uh, That's, and I'm not, and so what I'm saying is that the subject is deeper, and so I've treated it as deeper. Uh, So that was my first introduction to it, you know, asking these individuals what their experiences with these spirits were like. Um, And then from there, I went into Catholic demonology, Malachi Martin, uh, some of their texts and their traditions mm-hmm. and then I landed into uh, just kind of my own thing because you know it's not enough for us to understand these traditions mm-hmm. we have to understand the sexual pathology and the victimology of these beings what mm-hmm. do they see us as what are they doing what do they believe in you know, it was, it was uh, Father Sin of Amino that made, met a pagan demon. Now, what, what's that,
2: hmm.
0: right? It's religion that def- defines a demon. But if it's a pagan demon that doesn't believe in religion, then it's not a demon or it cannot be defined by religion, right? So, yeah. so a lot of this stuff is complicated. It's deeper than what a lot of people would like it to be.
2: <laughs> yeah, it... <laughs> I imagine you've probably ran up against that when maybe broaching uh, sort of large media sources or other folks that have a very narrow perspective and and sort of hang on to the the classical idea of, you know, sort of Western religion idea of a demon or what those interactions are, right? Has that been a struggle for you?
0: It has in a, in a way, you know, because it's hard to relate to people who think that this is all cosplay, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And I know I'm, I'm speaking from my heart here. This is as real like, as I can get here because, you know, it's hard to relate to them because a lot of, for a lot of people, this is just a way to get a couple bucks in their pocket or, or you know, kind of get a, a you know, a speck of fame. Uh, and for me, I think it's deeper because, you know, I've said across women, and, and husbands and, and families together at the dinner table. When these beings have walked in, you could feel them Yeah, and they're shaking, you know, it's so, so I think that the, the subject itself deserves greater respect, especially in Western culture. It's not just something that, you know, it's, it's a curiosity, you know, this is some dark stuff here and they do know that yeah. they pay attention to us.
2: Yeah, and and in a respect, it, it's much more sort of like a, a, a conversation that is required right. with with these beings um, and, and not just Correct. sort of like a, a 2D confrontation that occurs. I mean, listen, um, one of my best friends and, and a frequent guest on Euphemet and Night Drift is Tim Rothschild. He's mm-hmm. a non-dual Kabbalistic healer, and he Speed. runs into these things, right? Like, he oh, yeah. has sessions with people, he has healing sessions, and they show up, and mm-hmm. it becomes essentially some sort of strange warfare. Um, each Correct. culture seems to have an interpretation through the context of language, of what these mm-hmm. things are, some based off myths, some based off lore, and it does become a distorted kind of, I mean, even the idea becomes sort of like cosplay Right. Um, mm-hmm. I love this idea that you, you, you're saying, like, hey, listen, let's reframe this debate on some more. I mean, almost sort of objective ideas uh, that Correct. are framed within something, all the complications, everything included. And I think a lot of people want to not include all the complicated stuff. Right.
0: Right. Right. You're exactly right. A lot of these things, you know what it is? And I, I genuinely feel this way. I think a lot of people know the darkness that exists uh, and they want, you know, they, they don't want to encounter it. This, you know, the, this isn't fun. Some of these beings are just downright, forget malevolent or forget, forget even diabolical. We, we don't even have the vocabulary to proper properly quantify their existence, their pathology. And so what I've been doing, yeah. though, is I've been going throughout ancient manuscripts Uh, and trying to flesh out some some form of pathology and behavioral patterns uh, that would really imply that some of these beings have been the same beings throughout millennia. What we've done throughout in religion is we have compartmentalized the phenomenon. Mm. And what they've done is they've fed off of that, because as long as experiencers of incubi don't talk to experiencers in a UFO abduction, they won't be able to share their stories and we won't be able to realize that these are the same beings that are wearing different masks. Oh
2: my! And God. like I
0: said, they will veil themselves in our own illiteracy. That's the issue we're dealing with. And, and I think it's, uh, it's explosive because again, we're trying to put a face on the phenomenon. They're trying to play into the roles that we're giving them to play into. And mm. that's damning.
2: Mm, man that's wild um i know i'm going to ask you more about in the next segment about uh ufos and aliens and the you know the experiencer phenomenon or in particular the abductee phenomenon and kind of i don't know the relationship that you feel it may have and and some of the results of of those studies but you know firstly before we end this segment just Allow me to ask a little bit more about you and, and actually what you do. We dived really deep into philosophy real quick and some ideas, um, but I'm sorry, I'm so rude. Like, I'd love to learn more about sort of what you do in in your role as, as, um, as investigator in this field.
0: Well, what I do is cryptocurrency. <laughs> That's where I make money from. Um, other than that, I'm a full-time researcher and a grassroots researcher, so... What I've been doing is I I don't do cleansings anymore. Uh, I'm kind of closed that door in my career as of now. Mm. I'm more so going into investigations, a fly on the wall, right? Mm -hmm. And record the phenomenon and the way it influences me as a human. Uh, And then what I take is I take that data, whatever data I can collect, and I compare it to history. I compare it to any kind of supernatural Uh, studies that we have available to us that's really what i'm doing now
2: it's fascinating man it's fascinating before we go preternatural epiphenomenal philosophy did i say that
0: right yes yes it's it's a yes (laughs) okay good what is it well it, it 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 originated from when i was uh dealing with that entity as a kid you know uh, the question that I kept asking myself w- was: I afraid of it? Like I said, was I afraid of it because it deserves to be afraid of, it? or mm-hmm. was it projecting something upon me? And really, this is what I was taught about Christianity that just flops. I mean, it's it's baseless. Uh, they said, okay, if it, if you if you're afraid of the spirit, then that's a spirit of fear, mm-hmm. which is just you know. I can understand what, what they mean by that, because, you know, especially the, the deliverance ministers, when they would exercise these demons, you know, you, you, it, it has to be fear because you're afraid. Yeah, uh, right. But if you go into ancient manuscripts, the earliest physicians and exorcists realize that you can treat the symptom, but never treat the source. Mm-hmm. And so the definition of epiphenomenal is not that it's the action or it's not the entity itself. It's a secondary consequence of the entity being there. Mm. And so in ancient demonology, uh, we had we have writings where the entity ma- manifested and we felt a cold front. Well, is the cold front the entity or is it something that manifests because it's there? And so a lot of times what happens, especially in my field, is that we measure the coldness and without measuring the entity itself. I, I liken it to someone stepping into a pool of water. And we're taking pictures of the wave and the wake.
1: Hmm. And
0: we're not really paying attention to the entity that's causing it. Mm. If that makes any sense Mm -hmm. at all.
2: (laughs) It it does. It does. Uh, Have you found some methods? Well, listen, let's hold this until (laughs) the next break. But I'll tell you what, growing up the grandson of a Pentecostal preacher, I always actually had a really hard time maybe believing that God was real and it wasn't because I was scared of God. It was because if God existed then that means that the devil did too. So with that we'll be right back here on Night Drift with Jim Perry having a very very interesting conversation about demonology with our guest Nathaniel Gillis and we'll get into Aliens and maybe their connection to all of this as well. The fascinating stuff. Here on Night Drift, right after this.
1: Jim Perry on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM, KKNW, Seattle. Now, here again is Jim.
2: I'm Jim Perry, and this is Night Drift. You can find us across social media at Euphemet and me at It's Jim Perry. And if you're listening to this live, the radio broadcast of this show, and want more, you can find all of this on the Euphemet podcast feed, wherever you listen to podcasts. For more information, visit euphemet.com. We're here having an incredibly rich conversation with demonologist Nathaniel Gillis, and we're about to make things even stranger for you, make you feel more uncomfortable. We're about to go into some deep waters here, connecting some phenomenology that perhaps more traditionally is not considered to be a part of one another. And you'll know what I'm saying here in a second uh nathaniel thanks so much for joining me tonight on nitro i'm really enjoying this conversation and i'm scared as hell right now
0: that's <laughs> some deep water for sure <laughs> it's gonna get deep
2: yeah so listen um i guess right now let's talk a little bit about this connection you have found between aliens and demons where, where are you at with this right now, and how did this develop for you?
0: Oh, well, uh, there's very little of the UFO abduction phenomenon uh, that that doesn't fit within the narrative of ancient necromancy. Hmm. Uh, that's why I consider these beings to be molters. I I think that they are formerly human, and that these are disembodied entities that are self-replicating their species through the womb, the wombs of women. The earliest texts that we have in history regarding these beings are Ugaritic. And so we have a Ugaritic ritual bowls of reference to, uh, reference to a ri- a And it meant a deceased ancestor. Now, what do I mean by that? Again, let's go to a Phoenician text, because what I like to do is I like to pull texts together. Sure. Um, I believe in literacy. Uh, You know, so so there's a Phoenician text that mentions a little spirit. A little spirit was that hidden potential with every human being that exists embodied, but it evolves or it mutates out of body and so we have a funerary texts that talk about the ghost of a man is made from the flesh of a god and so these ancient authors believe that there was a potential within every one of us to become a mutated or an evolved ghost and so that that mutated disembodied aspect of us that we often see in UFO abductions. That's why they're, they're connected to NDEs and OBEs and all of that. Yeah.
1: But they believe
0: that these beings could mutate and that after they're disembodied, that they would seek to be re-embodied again. Mm. And so from the Phoenician text, a little spirit, your Hebrew mythologists, retranslated that into their own mythologies as Lilith, or Lilith, who went and harvested excretions from men, hello UFO abduction phenomenon, Mm. and implanted it into women, hello. I mean, it's the same phenomenon. It's the same pathology. Mm. And so what I've realized is that throughout millennia, we have texts, we have uh, individuals, witnesses, and experiencers in antiquity, in antiquity it's amazing who they were all experiencing the same phenomenon but they, they encapsulated it there through their own worldview and so so just like the fact that romans were seeing flying shields flying shields to a roman is a uh, is a flying saucer to kenneth arnold yeah and I so know. that's what i'm working with
2: yeah well listen i mean there's so much evidence that suggests the phenomenon acts almost sort of like a mirror based off our cultural reference points, right? I mean, we hear this all over. Uh, I think there's a broader awareness um, based off a lot of people learning more about sort of high strangeness and reading things like Keel. But you know, mm-hmm. go back to <laughs> go, go back to the aerial incident with John Mack. Mm-hmm right you're looking at mm-hmm. a mass sighting that occurred a bunch of school children many of them expats some of them from that country and mm-hmm. they all sort of seen the similar thing but you know what was like the different maker the difference maker in it was a cultural reference was applied to whatever mm-hmm. these children had seen it was individualized to them now right that Is amazing, and what's really wild about sort of contemporary paranormal investigation is that it's so Western centric that this is still happening now. If you go to another country that is maybe disconnected from Western culture and/or just has different belief systems, listen: um, the yokai uh, in Japan do have similar uh, states as our, you know, popular interpretation of ghosts or what people are seeing here, right? And, and mm-hmm. I believe in the believer experience, but they're a little different. Like, they're a little right. bit more nuanced to, to, to what is uh, their cultural idea of that. Um, I feel like you're doing some really important work here in terms of Thank you. The, the, the anthropological aspect of the paranormal in general, not just demonology or aliens. And you've got me on a rant here because you've got me excited but
0: (laughs) (laughs) that's good that's always good so
2: so let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about um the role that things like technology plays in this that you think you know Mm -hmm. we have these uh meetings or or these hearings that occur right and that have occurred recently Mm -hmm. and we have you know my friend ralph blumenthal writing stories for new york times about you know, the UAP programs and such. And, and a lot of people are focusing on alleged technology that's being used, nuts and bolts, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so where does that have a relationship? How does that relate or uh, conversate with this notion yes. that we're talking about?
0: Well, I think that uh, especially with your ancient texts, they describe what I call the disability of being being without being a being and so the idea throughout history was that these beings that they had a the disability of being tried to make up with technology what they had lost in death and so one of the ancient rituals performed through necromancy was the original implant okay mm. this is called the teraphim in hebrew mythology the teraphim was when someone would carve the name of an unclean spirit a tuma rua in hebrew they would carve the name of an unclean spirit into a small piece of metal and then implant it into a person. And the consciousness of that entity would merge with the metal and then stretch itself into the skin of that individual. And now you have the unified field, unified stream of consciousness. Not unlike these case studies that I've noticed, especially within the book Beyond UFOs, where the... uh, the experiencer prior to being abducted, that those entities, what these motors I call them, they turn on that implant. And, and one individual said that when they turned on that he was looking through the eyes of these beings as they were approaching his house. So this is not new technology. <laughs> it's new to us, not new to them. But it first originated as a necromantic right where they can impl- implant their consciousness into us by means of technology. And I, I know that people are still studying the you know consciousness connection. It's not it's not this or that, it's not materialism or spirituality. That's not the way these beings are thinking. Right? It's wow. they're both the same to them, and Non-dual. it's just another way. Exactly right. That's where I stand on
2: non-dual. It's all included, <laughs> and 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 you reference the book Beyond UFOs. It's the science mm-hmm. of consciousness and contact with non-human intelligence. It's a huge book, uh, by you know spearheaded by Ray Hernandez. It's the former mm-hmm. um, Edgar Mitchell uh, uh, group. Um, everyone should take a look at this book. I've talked about it a lot on here. It's I haven't you know I haven't got through the entire thing myself but I do revisit chapters over and over again I can't get through it in one shot I would like to see if somebody could but it's dense academic material um, and right. it's fascinating that, that that you're mentioning it honestly I had no idea that we would go down this direction as you know I, I think so, so much of your work is known as as demonology.
0: Right, right. But, yeah, yeah. You're exactly right. You know what? That, I'll tell you where that originated. My very first show ever was coast to coast, and when we first, when I first talked to the producer, I mean, they're trying to figure out where to put me. You know what I mean? <laughs> like what? Like what? If, you know what I mean? It was it was funny, funny conversation. So they're like, okay, we'll just we'll bill you as you know, demonologist. And then when you're in front of millions, every other show was like, hey man, demonologist. So it's like, all right, I went with it. Yeah. <laughs> right, right.
2: You have to
0: at that
2: point, yeah, exactly, exactly, it's fascinating, dude, um okay, so what you know you're you're working on some cases you're you're not doing uh cleansings anymore what what do your cases look like now that you're a part of? You said that you had mentioned that you're kind of a fly on the wall sometimes, but what are some of the cases that maybe you can describe what you do and have been surprising to you or or frightening or stunning
0: yeah well i I All right. So the last case I had, I mean, it's been about two years ago because I shut everything down. I shut everything down and I just kind of went headstrong into my research. And so I'm very selective about what cases I take. But my last case was a murder case. It was uh, someone had called or actually, maybe called, they they emailed me. And uh, when I got them on the phone, we were talking and I had no context for what this case was going to be. I, I really didn't. They, they just said, Hey, listen, we're, we're experiencing paranormal activity. Would you come over and do an investigation? And I said, okay, fine. And uh, it was very strange. So growing up in that haunted house, like I said, it endowed me with a, a little bit of insight and giftedness mm. uh, to where it's like an, an experience for me. And so I've had moments of time where I'll just literally be in two places at once my body will be here, but my consciousness will be somewhere else. And I can see everything. I smell what's there. It's very unique. It's really? weird. Yes. Wow. And so this is documented. I, uh, so while this lady's talking to me, I said, okay. I said, for some reason, I'm walking up the stairs of a second story house and I'm being drawn to a closet. She starts freaking out. She goes, absolutely. I was in that closet last night. And she said, I believe that's where the city is. So uh, when I get there, I notice that in the corner, there is a portion of the room, the carpet rather, that's cut up. And uh, so I I was given the context. And I won't use names, obviously. Um, But the context was uh, the family had a daughter who was young. And this daughter had gotten in contact with an older girl at school. And uh, the older girl had some, some dark things attached to her and the family knew that. So whenever she would come around the family with the younger girl, and the family was just like, you know, this girl creeps us out. There's something wrong. And they told their daughter, the, the 13-year-old, hey, we don't want you to bring her around anymore. Hmm. Right? There's, there's something attached to her and there's weird things going on in the house. Wow. So uh, this is... This is very, um, it's a unique situation. But uh, so the the father told me this. He said, then one night he says, we're watching television. And I look out of my window and that older girl from school is staring at us through the window, just looking at us because, you know, she's not making any movies. She's just staring at us. And he said, I chased her out, called the cops and everything. And he said, so, you know, three or four months go by. We didn't think anything of it. He said, but our daughter just started changing. She never would never come out of her room. She was kind of detached uh, with her family. And he said, next thing I know, on a school night, my daughter walks down the stairs and opens the front door. And he said, all of a sudden, that older girl from her school but walks in with a mask on, a bandana on. And she starts stabbing everyone in there. And he says, as she's stabbing, there's a disembodied male guttural voice coming out of her. Mm. And he said, it wasn't her voice at all. He said, it was a male voice. He said, it was something inhuman or something demonic. And uh, there was a tragedy that took place. You know, there was one of the, uh, the the wife uh, passed away. Uh, So when I got in there, I had no context. Again, I, you know, I I evidently, I didn't read it in the newspapers. I had no context. I didn't know. And so I went in there kind of blind. And uh, so I tell them what I tell everybody. I don't want to know anything, you know, outside of what's been happening in the house or whose rooms or where. So we went upstairs and I took one of the family members with me and I have it on, you know, I recorded it. I said, I don't want to know anything. I just want you to be present to witness. this." So we go into one room and I said, for some reason, I feel this dark energy here and there was a closet in the room. There was a, a uh, black milk carton full of green model trains. So, we look in that closet, and then I, we look in another closet in the room. There was a bunch of Fisher, like like uh, different, different fishing poles and tackle boxes. So anyways, we get downstairs, and I have the family together. There's an atheist there who, before I do my cleansing, he looks at me and says, I'm an atheist, Nate. First of all, he doesn't know me, right? You can call me Nate because we talk. He doesn't know me from Adam, so it's Nathaniel. But that's the kind of energy he was giving off, right? He's like, I don't care about what you do. I don't believe in what you do. I think it's all BS. I'm here for my friend. I said, okay, fine. Mm. Like we get to talking and I said, there's a male entity here and he's very angry. He's violent. And he most likely beat his wife. He's very angry. and He hates women. Mm. So I start giving these details. The husband. He looks at me and he says, it sounds a lot like my father-in-law who's deceased now. I said, okay, tell me about your father-in-law. He says, well, he said, the reason me and my wife got married so quickly is because he was beating my wife, his daughter. He beat her for like 10 years and he said it took her a long time to get PTSD they had, he had given her, and he said, So he would get on drugs, he, he would get high, and he would get drunk, and he would just beat on his wife and his daughter. Mm. Okay, and I said, Okay, and I'm trying to put this together because while he's talking, the energy is building, right? It, it's like this, like he was getting the he was getting angrier, anger, and angrier, and it was getting hotter. The temperature was rising. And so I know that there's going to be a climax here. Something's going to happen, but I just didn't know what, what it was. Uh, So, so he gets done talking and he said, it's kind of funny. He said, because when he died, we put all of his stuff upstairs in a room. I said, really? He said, yeah. He said, matter of fact, uh, matter of fact, when he would get into his, uh, his his rage and his stupor, he said, the only way my mother-in-law could calm him down is by treating him like a child, taking him to Toys R Us and getting him green model trains, oh, which is, man. right? And so when I heard that, it it was like you could cut the energy in a room with a knife. And then suddenly he goes, matter of fact, he goes, when he also died, he said, we, uh, we also put his tackle box in his, bass fishing gear upstairs and, he, and then I, I didn't tell you about this but he also said you know he goes and matter of fact that, that wooden table you saw in the kitchen that's his too he made that oh my gosh. and so what I deduced was this is him this is him and so I went through my cleansing ritual and it got so hot that the the, the, the husband there, the man, he's, he's taking his arms and he's rubbing his shoulders and he's going, oh, my God, it's hot. It's so hot. It's hot. Get it off of me. It's hot. When we got done, it was as if someone had turned the lights on for the first time in that house. Mm. The family was... They were crying, they're weeping, and they're going throughout the house thinking, okay, it's just me, it's just us. But no, whatever darkness was there, it left that night. Now, <laughs> this is, gets even deeper. About two months later to the day, I'm sitting in the same seat at the same restaurant at the same time that I got the original email from that family. This is nuts. This is crazy. Then a couple sits directly next to me. A lady leans over because her husband was sitting in between us. A lady leans over, looks at the book I'm reading and says, you know, can I talk to you about something? I said, sure. So she switches seats with her husband. We get to talking about my research. And I said, look, I said, I don't do this often, but I said, I just, I just had a vision of you teaching. I said, are you a teacher? And she started laughing. She goes, well, I just signed a contract two days ago to teach. She goes, (laughs) originally, I'm a social worker. I said, a social worker? She says, yes. And she says, believe it or not, I know who you are.
2: Hmm.
0: I said, really? I I promise you this happened. I promise you this happened. It blew my mind. I said, well, who am I? She goes, I know you're, you're Nathaniel. She goes, I've heard about you but I can't tell you how. So about 45 minutes later, finally, she says, yes. She says, I'm a social worker that's been working with these two minors. And she said, the night that you did your cleansing, that being went into the 13-year-old cell and told that girl, I no longer have authority over you. I have to leave. And she called the social worker and told them this. She said, so we know who you are. oh my word that was nuts yeah so that that was my last case and um, I got a phone call later on from the family because the atheist wanted to talk to me the atheist was like you know I never experienced anything like that in my life and then he said I've went around and I've called everybody in my city every pastor in my city and I've told them about what I experienced in that house so this stuff is powerful, but wow. um, that's what that that really did change me in my in my experience with the phenomenon.
2: Man, how can it not, Nathaniel? How can it not? You know, um, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, uh, thank you so much for sharing that story. I want to read more. I want to know about more about your work. Uh, where can people find you and your most recent work? <laughs>
0: You can find me, I have a YouTube channel and uh, I have like a, I think like 14, 1500 subscribers, but every week on Thursday night at 9 PM Eastern standard time, I have a, my own show on the leak project and it's called the ghost notes. And so uh, at that point in time, I go in there and it's, you know, it's not an interview. I just start talking about my latest research. <laughs> uh, nice. So you can find me there uh, on my YouTube channel and, and Instagram and Facebook. And I'm also on Twitter. So it's all all of those are under the banner of Nathaniel Gillis.
2: Well, fantastic. I feel like we only scratched the surface here, but it was a great introduction to you and some of your work. Will yeah. you please come back on Night Drift?
0: I would love to. Absolutely. I would love fantastic, to. Fantastic, man.
2: All right, we have to get out of here, everyone, but this has been Night Drift. I'm Jim Perry, and until next Sunday, keep looking up.
1: Drift with Jim Perry on Spotify and subscribe on Apple podcast to receive new episodes of Night Drift automatically and gain access to all of our past episodes.